This episode is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Introducing DirecTV Stream, the best of live TV and on demand, which means you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. So whether you want to catch the game live or watch the latest blockbuster, they've got you covered. And there's no annual contract. DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together at directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet and compatible device. Content varies by package and location. Restrictions apply. Welcome to the Bringing Intimacy Back Show, where intimacy is real. If you desire to intimately connect with yourself, your significant other, children, family, friends, community, and your higher power, this show is for you. Thus, we explore intimate topics, inspiring life stories, spirituality, and insightful tips on strengthening relationships. This show is hosted by Dr. April and her co-host, Dr. Kelly. Now let's get this episode of the Bringing Intimacy Back show started, because we share with you the secret power to intimacy to create a life you love or love the life you create. Now here's your host, Dr. April and co-host, Dr. Kelly. Welcome to the Bringing Intimacy Back show, where intimacy is real. How are you doing, Dr. Kelly? I'm doing so great, Dr. April. Yes. How is your... How is your week off? Oh, it was so fantastic. I chose to drive across country from Denver to Michigan, Denver, and then five hours north of Detroit, and uh, actually lost my keys at oh, the, no. the world's largest truck stop. I mm. lost my only set of keys. Well, thankfully, I found them <laughs> 20 minutes later, 20 minutes of stress, but it's good to be home in Northeast Michigan. It's great to see you. Yes, yes. Well, I had the same. I had the same experience. I was in Costa. I'm oh, not Costa Rica. I'm going there soon. But I was in um, uh, Cancun, Mexico. Yes, yeah. And I lost my passport on my way back. Yes, for 15 minutes. Yes, 15 minutes. I guess God wanted us to see how we were going to handle our stress during these oh. vacations. <laughs> yes. How'd you handle it? Oh, I imagined myself in the Mexican prison. I was like, godly, I should have had some tattoos. Broken down <laughs> Dallas. <laughs> yes. I was like, I wasn't meant to be that way. But anyway, it all worked out good. And it was so nice, um, the water and the beach. And then that's what we're going to have today. What? Oh, we're having a beach today. <laughs> Life's a beach with Zach Beach. Is that my intro? Talk about the beach. (laughs) Yes, yes. yes. We have um, Zach Beach of Learning to Love. And Zach, I mean, Zach is, um, let me just talk a little bit about Zach. So Zach is an international yoga teacher, which is amazing because, you know, that's dealing with the body and also with the mind. But he's also a best-selling author. I don't know if you knew that. A best-selling author. Um, he wrote about the seven lessons of love, which hopefully he gives us at least a lesson or two. <laughs> you know, we don't want to give the whole thing. He's a poet. <laughs> a taste. <laughs> yeah, a taste. He's a poet. Um, he's a third child, as you mentioned <laughs> earlier. A love coach and founder of the Heart Center Love School. And he does a lot of lead retreats, workshops, transforming all things. Um, he's been all over. And I'd like to welcome Zach onto the show. Thank you, April. Thank you, Kelly. Happy to be here. Yes, awesome. Yes, yes. And Zach also, if I didn't mention, has a podcast called Learning to Love, which is great. Absolutely. And you yes. were on it. So I thank you for that. And thank you again for having me on your show. Oh, 
Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, with just a few housekeeping things, um, we every month sponsor a charity of the month, and this one is American Art Therapy, which deals with art and therapy and being creative. And if you're mm. interested in that, please visit membersarttherapy.org. But let's get into the meat and bones of our topic today, which is learning to love. Yes. <laughs> One of the things that I really, um, what this show is about, Zach, of course, is intimacy. And so as we're starting off, um, what is your definition of intimacy? Mm. Yeah, it's a good question. And I really love that you just have this show and this offering to the world. It's so important because intimacy is about the richness of life. And I always think about things on both physical or human and also spiritual dimensions, so when I think about intimacy, I think about two things. One, I think about the Zen master Dogen quote, that enlightenment is intimacy with all things. And then I also think about this other idea of thinking of the word intimacy, which you have probably heard, which is intimacy is into me see. So in other words, intimacy is seeing deep into someone, seeing in their essential goodness, seeing their soul, seeing their heart, seeing them for who they are. And when we cultivate intimacy and intimate relationships, that's what it's about. It's about getting to know somebody on a deeply intimate level, getting to know their fears and their dreams and who they are and how they came to be the beautiful human being that they are. Wow, Zach. And you have those, I mean, I know some people are listening to this, but when you have the visual and you see Zach Blue's eyes, <laughs> yeah. with shirt, you're like, wow. <laughs> Good thing you're zen because you don't have as much ego as you Can do. you see me you're... blushing too at the moment? <laughs> no, it's really, it's really nice to see, see you, Zach, and to hear you talk about that intimacy you see or intimacy mm. because some people are so afraid of what's inside themselves. They can't trust it. So they have a difficult time trusting others. So mm. for that definition. Yeah. Um, so I can want to get a little background. How did you even get into this field of love? Yeah, it's a good question because I didn't originally start uh, being so passionate about love. I do think of my path as starting on a search for truth and figuring out like what is real and figuring out the answers to the fundamental questions of human existence. Questions like, why are we here? What does it mean to be a good person? Who are we beyond just like the material nature of our existence? Mm-hmm. And no matter where I went, whether it was a lecture hall at university, whether it was a transformational workshop, whether it was a training, or that rather it was a temple or a church, is it all brought me back to the same place every single time. And that is love. Everything from we know God through love, for God is love, to just listening to a social psychologist talk about how important love is for our overall health and well-being. So I started out for truth, I found love, and then I just never stopped. And I do think of my work in the world as meant to bring more love into it. Right now, I think about that as being on the level of the body, the heart, and the mind. So on the level of the body, I get to teach yoga, which literally means to yoke or to cultivate connection or unity. And every day I get to tell people to open their hearts and read poetry. And they think, I mean, like, you know, move your ribs or shoulders in some way. But that's where I get to slide all that important information under the radar. And on the level of the heart, I write poetry and perform spoken word performances. And on the level of the mind, I love teaching workshops and having my podcast and having my love school. 
because that's where most people are. Right. Uh, we are lost in thought, believing everything that we think, caught up in our own endless internal dialogue. So absolutely, in order to kind of like come to love, we do have to start a little bit for the mind, with the mind, with explanations, with things like this. And it's infinite. Um, the love that we can cultivate is infinite. The amount that we can open our heart is infinite. So to, it's a daily practice for me. And I can see myself doing it for this life and the next and the next. You said you found love. <laughs> you said that. I peaked, uh, my ears peaked up when you said, and, I, and then I found love. Where did mm. you find it? It's going to be a little trite to say that, like, I found it in myself. <laughs> well, yeah, that's not funny. That is probably that is perfect. It's not at all trite. Right. <laughs> Um, because yeah, like when you hear the term finding love, that's kind of the common narrative that we have in our society. We say mm -hmm. like the main task that a person needs to do in order to be in a happy, intimate relationship is find the right person and finding the right person involves like swiping left and right, like a million times and going on a bunch of unsuccessful dates. Once you find the right person, love just erupts like a volcano fairy tale. You live happily ever after. <laughs> well, yeah, you know I never know if I never remember if I'm supposed to swipe left or right. So I think <laughs> single, I'm like, wait a minute, was it right or left? <laughs> Why am I getting all these bad matches? <laughs> <laughs> I thought I swiped. Oh no. Maybe that's your growth. You know, love that's the thing like about intimate relationships is like the challenges that we have in them are there for a reason so that we can grow through them. And fortunately, if you're in an intimate relationship with somebody who's there to support your growth. Um, it can be really transformative on your life. Yeah. So even those challenging relationships. Sometimes <laughs> I think of love as like this like fire. And sometimes to start a fire, what do you need to do? Burn through a few small sticks. Mm -hmm. So sometimes those like early relationships that like maybe start out hot, but then fizzle out really quickly. They're there for a reason. You had to learn something in that relationship from that person. And then that person becomes a part of you and how you love in the future. Well, last yeah. Tried to make a campfire, and I wondered how on earth a forest could burn down with one match because mm. I had like big lighters, long big lighters. I had newspaper, all kinds of kindling, and I still couldn't start the fire. <laughs> so you're going to give us some kindling for these people that are in that where it's uh, they're still struggling with that that intimate relationship with themselves where they can find love because otherwise, wouldn't you think? that they would have a hard time loving others if they have a hard time loving themselves. What do you think of that? Yeah, I'll speak to a few things you just said. One, how does one fight, how does one spark burn a whole forest down? And living in California, I wonder that a lot, how one gender reveal party can burn down an entire class. <laughs> um, you know, that's an important thing because to continue with the metaphor, love can be a little bit like fire in that it can be beautiful and transformational, but contained in a certain way right we can have healthy mm -hmm. healthy boundaries um tapping into the common narrative around love is we're told finding the right person to love is easy oh sorry finding the right person is hard but loving is easy right and it's that narrative that brings a lot of people into trouble is they do encounter problems challenges in their relationships and they think that it's because they found the wrong person so they move on to the next and move on to the next but they don't get to the root of those issues um, but then tapping into this other common narrative that we're told that you can't love others until you love yourself, I don't necessarily agree with. Um, I definitely think that, you know, we learn what love is at an early age. 
uh, based on how our parents loved ourselves, based on how our parents loved each other. And sometimes we didn't receive that. And I know many people who first learned how to love via how somebody else loved them as an adult later on in life. You know, when you meet somebody and you're like, you're amazing. You're the most beautiful thing I've ever met in entire life. And you're like, no, I'm not. <laughs> so like, can I give you gifts and affection and love? And then you're like, I don't think I deserve that. But then slowly it works into you and you sort of like realize how worthy you are of love via how somebody else loves you. That being said, strong self-love, strong self-esteem, for example, will make your relationships better. Right. Like a very common thing we talk, tell people in relationships is to ask for what you want. Right. Now, a lot of people don't ask for what they want, A, because they don't know, because they haven't explored. Um, B, because they don't think if they ask that they're going to get it, because maybe their parents were like, what do you want for dinner? And you said hot dogs. I'm like, too bad. Like, <laughs> like you were told to deny. Maybe you were ashamed for your desires. Um, but also you might not think you deserve it. You might not think on a fundamental, like unconscious level that you deserve to get for what you want. So then you don't ask for it. But when you do come from a place of self-love, then you do set more like appropriate boundaries. You're more likely to ask for what you want because that's part of your self-love practice is meeting your needs. Yeah. And that's very good. Like you said, it's asking for, for what you want. And the other thing that I wanted to go back to one of the things you said, you kind of made it seem like all the different relationships. It's like a journey. Mm-hmm. yes yeah you know some people get so stuck and like oh my gosh I didn't meet the right one but maybe like kind of what you interpret was that the right one might have been at that time period then you learn and you get better and you move to someone else is that kind of what you were you were stating oh absolutely love is a journey you know yes. and when, when you're in a relationship for a long period of time like you go through so many different life phases together and I do think that's sort of that beginning transformation people experience at the beginning of a relationship. Like first you're like, you're facing the person, you're adoring them, you're falling in love. That's the new relationship energy. Eventually you turn and walk on this path of life together, holding hands, supporting each other in your mutual growth and happiness. Right. Okay. So when we come back and take a short break, but for some couples, they have that new energy and then it starts to fizzle out. And so I want you to give us some tips on how to keep that sizzling fire, you know, going. Not that not for it to burn down any, <laughs> any trees or anything, but just to keep it going. All right, we'll take, going. Yes, we'll take a short break and we'll be back in a moment. Are you wanting a vacation in paradise? A vacation to rekindle the passion. A vacation without the kids. A vacation where you can learn how to communicate where you and your partner actually hear each other and gain insight. If so, Vacation Counseling is your next vacation. Dr. April Brown has created Vacation Counseling in Southwest Florida as a perfect option for you and your partner. Our retreats are one couple at a time. We have a variety of packages available to choose from, including virtual couples retreats. If you and your partner are interested in the Vacation Counseling, Please visit us at vacationcounseling.com for more information on pricing and packages. Also, follow us on Instagram and Facebook. To keep track of the latest news, stories, activities, or coupons on Vacation Counseling and Dr. April's other services, we encourage you to sign up to receive a monthly newsletter called Intimate Connections at draprilbrown.com. Remember, if you and your partner are struggling with communication and intimacy, and you all are looking for a retreat to connect, 
Vacation counseling can be your next vacation in Southwest Florida. Welcome back to the Bring in Intimacy, where intimacy is real. And so um, right before we took a break, Zach was talking about relationships and how sometimes you get connected and you have this great energy and then it starts to fizzle out. But before we get to that, Zach, <laughs> I got a little distracted because <laughs> I saw Dr. Kelly just really trying to get that intimate hair like your hair. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, I am. I need a product. I need a product. <laughs> yes, yes. So, but going back to that energy that happens in a relationship, when it starts to fade, I know you wrote um, a best-selling book called The Seven Lessons of Love. Does that address some of those issues? And if- um, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh- so, you know, I'm, most of your listeners probably know that there's this physiological, scientific, evolutionary phenomenon known as new relationship energy. You might have heard of it as limerence, or it's really just what happens when we fall in love with somebody rather than be in love. And it's that newfound energy that we get, this flood of dopamine and chemicals in the brain and body um, that give you this feeling of like, I'm obsessed with this person. And yes. And, um, and inevitably, these things it fades a little bit over time. So there are a number of strategies that we can do in order to sort of keep the new relationship energy alive throughout the relationship. And it just involves bringing some intention to it because we want to keep things new, keep things interesting. So novelty is one of the greatest ways to keep NRE alive because at the beginning of a relationship, novelty is easy, right? It's like you love sushi? I love sushi. Let's go to a sushi restaurant, right? You're learning new things. Everything you do is new together. So it's very easy. And as the relationship goes on, as life becomes routine, as you start to see each other every day, as you're like sharing the bathroom together, like experiencing like a whole lot of like domesticity and not so much say passion or intimacy, then you do want to bring novelty, intentionally go to new places, intentionally try new things, intentionally get things that might even excite you, like extreme sports or even just hiking up a tall mountain can be really helpful. And always continue to date your partner, right? It can be easy to say, I live together. I sleep next to this person. I don't need to go to a fancy dinner over candlelight and drink wine together. Um, But you want to continue to date your partner throughout your entire relationship. And another thing that can keep Henry alive is a little bit of distance, just a little bit of (laughs) (laughs) how many miles? Oh, she's muted. I'm, uh, I said 1,500 miles. Uh, I'm not single for nothing. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, but uh, you need space because that's what keeps yeah. the passion in the air and the fire. Yeah. You need right. a little bit of space. Yes. So I often remind my clients of what's known as the erotic equation, which I believe is Dr. Marin, but I'll have to check that, which is just this, that desire plus obstacles equals excitement. Desire plus awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, every, we all like to be teased a little bit. I don't yeah. know how explicit we can get on this podcast, but oh, explicit. You know. <laughs> we can. <laughs> but right when you're so when you're with, you, go ahead. 
Sorry. I said you had me at erotic. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. So, you know, Esther Perel talks about this a lot. Basically, you know, right. sexuality is like the mechanics, right? The P goes in the V right. or whatever genitals are touching each other, right? But it's eroticism that is the mystery, the sense of adventure, the sense of exploration and discovery. And it's that sense of like a little bit of space, a little bit of independence, a little bit of obstacles is what creates that level of desire and intimacy that we feel at the beginning of the relationship. And it can be really easy to kind of fall into rut, fall into routine. If you begin living together, sleeping together, now people are working at home together. Um, they're spending much more time together than they used to. You do have to insert a little bit of space. You do have to cultivate your own path. Because when you're passionate about your life, it's going to overflow into your relationship too. And the last piece of advice I'll offer for people wanting a little bit more new relationship energy is just to understand the difference between spontaneous and responsive desire. And spontaneous desire is when a thought pops in, into your head, I should tear my partner's clothes off, right? This happens a lot more common early on in the relationship. Later on in the relationship, you shift to what's known as responsive desire, where the thought doesn't happen spontaneously. It's something that's cultivated. So maybe like you're sitting on the couch, you're not quite in the mood, but then you turn the television off, change the lighting, start cuddling, start kissing, and then slowly you feel that desire start to build. So it's true. You might move a little bit more towards a responsive desire as your relationship goes on. And this is normal and this is okay. And we can recognize it and cultivate spaces and times where desire can naturally grow. Yeah, because spontaneity is very important in relationships and intimacy. Some women uh, that I've counseled in the past, specifically even the last year I've heard, they feel like they're not be, they're uh, not attractive to their spouse because it's there's no spontaneity. There's no spontaneity, so therefore some of them feel like they're not attractive anymore. Hmm. And so you can equate uh, spontaneity with wow, they want me, they're attracted <laughs> to me, they can't keep their hands off of me. Absolutely. Like if you're a listener and you want to bring passion into, into your relationship, just surprise your partner tonight. Just do something totally out of the ordinary that you haven't done in a long time. And then you'll just see it. It'll just happen. Let me be the devil's advocate to that because I've, I've suggested that as well to some clients and they say, oh no, they'll wonder who influenced me. So they can say Zach Beach influenced me. <laughs> Dr. April influenced me. No, your body did. I want you. So what do you do with the people that say, you give a suggestion and they say, no, my husband or my spouse or partner would not like that. They, they say, I don't think that's going to work. How would you respond to them, Zach? Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. Cause I feel like there's kind of two sides to your question. Um, in terms of like the people who maybe want to bring something in, but they don't feel like it's genuine. And I just say to that, just throw it out the window, right? Because like podcasts like this or like books right. on sex can be a really awesome excuse. You know, like you could just say, so I was reading this sex book and it mentioned this really weird thing. Like, do you think we could maybe try it? And <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I heard about bondage on the intimacy podcast yeah. and submission. And I, you know, I just, do you want to maybe try it sometime? Right. So to me, it's like a really wonderful excuse. And you never know quite like what your partner may or may not be, may or may not be into. If you like, say, I do not want to be spanked. Let's just get that right out there. <laughs> what, what about being the one doing that? The, 
What about doing the spanking? Oh, I, I think well, maybe I'll try that, Zach. <laughs> what about a really slow spanking that slowly turns into a rub? Into a rub? Or like a, <laughs> yeah, some rubbing, some caressing. Oh, well, hey, <laughs> so when you were talking about the obstacles and you said that there's things that are in the way, the immediate thing that I thought were clothes. <laughs> yes. Remove the clothes be- and that by having them, because some people just get naked right away. So I would encourage them to, you know, mm-hmm. keep the clothes on longer and enjoy mm-hmm. the ride. Right. Yeah. I, but, you know, when I was thinking, when he was thinking about obstacles, I was thinking about the hurricanes and the fires and all that. And how, when sometimes you're with someone and they help you through that process, I don't know if you guys have had it, but you just, in the middle of a chaos, you get aroused. Really? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, maybe in the middle of a funeral, I might get aroused. <laughs> but a hurricane or a fire, I'm on my I'm on the way for the evacuation route. <laughs> well, I mean, on the way. Yes, yes. On the way. Yes. Oh, boy. I get an visual here, Dr. April. <laughs> <laughs> so you're both you're both absolutely true on so many levels. So there's even a psychological phenomenon. Phenomenon. You've probably heard of it. It's called like fundamental attribution bias, I believe. I'll have to check it out. But literally, they brought college students because everyone studies college students. They had them walk across a bridge. One bridge was stable. One bridge was shaky. And at the end was the person asking them a survey. And the people that went on the shaky bridge were much more likely to ask the person doing on the survey who was of the opposite sex um, whether or not they want to go on a date. Because like it brings because you don't realize that like the blood pressure is rising and you feel this excitement and danger, and then you attribute it to this person that you're with. So absolutely, you get saved by the firemen. You you feel all these Ooh, things and all yes. this excitement, all these tingles, and you're like, "Hi, so are you doing anything later?" You uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that definitely has to do with uh, things uh, external factors outside of our control, and then they can trust somebody. Uh, I really like your style. Zach Beach. (laughs) Thank you. So yeah, so speaking to your obstacles, I wanted to say like even sending like a sexy text like during the day, like if at your lunch break, you send a sexy text to your partner and you say, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing you later tonight, right? Or maybe something a lot more explicit, whatever you're into. And um, having that, then you're thinking about it, right? Then you're building that excitement, right? So I've heard this phrase, sometimes it works that um, sex is everything that happens 24 hours before sex. Yes, um, definitely so. for us females. <laughs> I heard it starts at breakfast. So if you want sex that night, you better get your foreplay going at breakfast. Exactly. You know, so someone was telling me that oysters are an aphrodisiac. I was like, I'm not sure about that. But whatever works for you at breakfast, some oysters, asparagus, chocolate, whatever turns you on, make it happen. It doesn't have to be cereal. <laughs> definitely. Yes. <laughs> Ah, uh, such a good conversation. <laughs> yes. Hey, we're talking about sex. What could not be good about that? I know, definitely. And so now I'm going to pick your brain on all of this and how it also relates to your work with um, yoga. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And how does that, in the sense of moving that body, and you, because you, you train people to do yoga, correct? And you train teachers. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. How does that all relate? Oh, it's all connected. <laughs> um, but, you know, it relates in terms of everything that we're talking about for a number of reasons. First, the average person lives from shoulders up, right? We're lost. In, 
thought caught up in our mind. We live in a very okay. yes. Shoulders up, yeah. We live in yeah, a I very. I can understand it now. Yeah. <laughs> we live in a very cognitive centric society, right? Mm-hmm. When we talk about intimacy, we don't just mean the mental stimulation that we experience in conversation, although that can be an important component of many relationships. There's also emotional intimacy, and there's also physical intimacy. So that's really one of the first things that we do in yoga is really just reconnect to our bodies. And what people realize is that once they come back to their bodies, it's like a room with the door has been closed for like a really long time. And it's got clutter and cobwebs and dust and everything. And people have ignored their bodies and it's become tight and, and closed down. And one of the first things we teach is just literally how to breathe. Like, I can't believe how many people, you know, they've been on this earth for many decades, aren't even breathing in the correct way. So that's really one of the first things we do is retrain how to breathe, come back home to the body. And it's that body that is the connection between our internal world and our outer world, right? It's that gateway. So through connecting to our bodies, we connect to other people, we connect to all things. Now, yoga really really just means to yoke, to come together, to unify or union. And there's millions of practitioners in the States because we're so disconnected from so many things. One of my favorite things to ask my teacher trainers is like, what is a modern person disconnected from? The answer usually comes up uh, everything because we're disconnected (laughs) from our bodies, disconnected from our hearts, from our purpose. We're disconnected from the natural world. Um, You know, even where our food comes from, we're also disconnected from each other with the dissolving of like communities and extended families where the more we become more isolated uh, each generation that goes on, we, we have less close friends, less intimate partners. Um, so our entire practice. Um, so a lot of people do think like yoga is, is just like doing push-ups in a hot room. And that's like the gateway, right? It's like dipping right. your toe into the water. But once you jump into the ocean, you realize it's about cultivating connection to all things. Um, you, yourself, your purpose, your heart, your love, your life. And then of course, each other. And many people don't realize there are any paths of yoga, like the karma yoga path is the path of selfless service. The bhakti yoga path is the path of surrender and devotion. One of the paths, jnana, is the path of self-discipline and mastery. But when we talk about like self-discipline, we're also talking about studying oneself, learning the nature of who you are on this planet. So, go ahead. People speaking of self-discipline, and I'm certainly getting the visual on all of this. Not to tie everything back to sex by any means, but with that self-discipline and breathing, would people be able to stop their premature ejaculation? Can they, uh, if they mm-hmm. learn to control themselves through yoga and, you know, like, because there's a number of, you know, a number of people that are affected by premature ejaculation, mm-hmm. sender and receiver for that matter. So what would you encourage are those correlated or am I just reaching too much? Because I, I I think that that self-control and people realize, know their body. Absolutely. Yeah, because it's interesting. I mean, people can suffer from premature ejaculations for a lot of different reasons. Maybe it is just nerves. This used to be the thing back in the day. People thought it was like 80% psychological and they were like, oh, just calm down, just relax, it's fine. And that can help a lot of people. Um, but it slowly shifted to more physiological reasons. But one of the things I do find, for example, for a lot of men who premature ejaculate, ejaculate is there's not a fundamental difference between um, those that do and those that don't on a physiological basis. But the difference is the awareness. And what you'll find with men who don't premature ejaculate is they're more aware of when they're going to. 
And then they do things to ensure that they don't. And they'll often find that like a subtle change of the position, change of the rhythm, uh, maybe even just pausing and breathing can be really helpful. Um, and, and, then, um, and then they don't ejaculate. Now, when you first brought the question, it started getting a little bit more into what many tantra teachings have, have taught where you can do like what they call edging, like you go up and get closer and closer and closer. So absolutely learning and getting in touch with your body can also really help. And of course, sex is this deeply physical thing. It's also very spiritual as well. Um, but when we do get in touch with our physical bodies, we're better able to figure out what we want and what feels good and what doesn't and also control what sensations might bring us over the edge and then peel a little bit back from there. Yes, and for our audience out there listening, um, especially if there's some guys who are thinking, what's wrong with premature ejaculation? Um, <laughs> I should say that <laughs> with intimacy, it's about playing and we enjoy it the longer we play together. And sometimes if you just go in the playground real quick and go back out, you just don't really have that full value of seeing everything on the playground and enjoying the whole experience. Yeah, I'm like being on a teeter-totter and you get up there and then <laughs> let's go. And you're, have you been on the other end of a teeter-totter when somebody gets off? No pun intended. <laughs> and like, okay, well, that's over. Or the bell rings and recess is over. I had this idea of, went right before no you were talking about knowing your body and knowing when you're coming close and then and I thought it reminded me of like before I sneezed somebody told me they'd say pinch the top of your bridge of your nose and I can always tell right before I'm gonna sneeze and so if I'm in a public place and I don't want to sneeze I'll pinch the and then if I get a freezer you don't have to eat your ice cream too fast you do eat ice cream don't you Zach Beach Dairy free ice cream, but yeah, coconut bliss. <laughs> coconut. Oh yeah. Well, right. So right before if you get a freezer burn, then you put the tongue on the roof of your mouth and then it'll dissipate. So if you're lazy men that are listening and you're like, well, I don't understand. I don't know right before I'm going to, well, slow your roll. If you know before you sneeze and you know, when you get a freezer headache, then just start paying attention. You can yeah, do that. I something I remind people as a sex educator is so technically premature ejaculation is 30 seconds or less <laughs> like a lot of you know so when people say like oh I come too early it's kind of like I come too early for whom and yeah it can really help to like you know ejaculate whenever you want be able to go for one two three hours but there's this common narrative that people believe it's primarily because I think a, a lot of porn usage is they do think that when the man comes and the sex is over, right? Once you get the money shot, then the scene ends, right? And a lot of people do think that like, yeah, if they do come early in two, three, four, five minutes, then, you know, the, and the female hasn't gotten, or the other male hasn't gotten what they wanted in the situation, then it, it's, it's a failure. But it's like, guess what? Your fingers still work. Your tongue still works. Your mouth still works. Toys still work. Um, so in no way does ejaculation necessarily need to be the end. Doesn't need to be getting off the teeter totter. Right, don't stay on that teeter totter. <laughs> We're not done yet. <laughs> Get back on, I'm telling you. Yes, it's not over. No way. <laughs> and we are not done yet, but we do need to take a break. And when we come back, um, we will discuss more with Zach with some more interesting erotic and life-changing things on learning to love. We'll be back in a moment. If you're listening, you have a pulse. If you have a pulse, you have stress. 
If you have stress, you should get a therapist. How do you find a therapist? You go online, type in therapist near me. Then you find a list of letters. LMHC, LPC, NCC. Ugh! How can you navigate and understand all this? Go to drkellyboucher.com. Dr. Kelly specializes in supporting people who suffer from stress, anxiety, burnout, and more. You can have help today. DrKellyBoucher.com Welcome back to the Bringing Intimacy show where intimacy is real. So we have been having Zach Beach and we started off talking about finding truth to love, to teeter-tot. <laughs> yeah, some people have sex swings. We're talking about teeter-tot. <laughs> Don't just get up. I'm into swinging. It's like, oh, really? No, yeah, teeter totter. I'm into oh. teeter tottering. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard of that one. Um, one question I do have for you, Zach. You're all over the place because I saw that you do Costa Rica and and um, California and I think somewhere else where you yeah, do all your not trainings. A pandemic. Okay. <laughs> Worldwide pandemic. But yeah. Okay. Okay. So this, this year you've been um, in California mostly. Yeah. Last year, mostly Cali. This year I have started some international trainings, but it's tough. You know, it's really hard to plan anything because you never know when regulation is going to change. Countries are going to close down, but yes, I do try to um, go wherever I'm needed. That's my work in the world, but also I love to learn wherever I can. Um, so the year before COVID, I did Thai massage training in Thailand, spent 10 days at the Nepal monastery, and then deep in my yoga training in India, and then did some workshops in Europe. Awesome. Okay. And then you have a website, or um, I think it's like Living from the Heart, or what's your website? Um, so yeah, I'm used to... Okay. Well, I'm super easy to find. My name is Zach Beach, C-A-C-H, yeah. and then Beach, just like a beach, ZachBeach.com. And then, you know, when I started on this path of love, I realized how hard it was because you can't go to school and major in love. Um, there's no, like, love incorporated. That well, let me go back. You can't go to school? You mean you can't, like, when you're in college, just uh, bang and do a lot of Yeah, you, there's no major in love. Not yet. <laughs> okay. There's, like, I've seen a few certificates, you know, there may be, like, but... You can't major in love. Like I want to major in love, minor in compassion, get certified in sex education, but didn't didn't exist. So I kind of started what I think of as the as my love school, the love school, and that's the heart center. Um, and we do offer public programs and workshops and trainings around opening and developing the heart. What venues do you teach to? What what groups really uh, have you ever had any churches that are open to this? Um, you know that there, Ed Wheat, have you ever heard of Dr. Ed Wheat? He found, wrote the book Love Life for Every Married Couple. He has uh, Love Life Marriage and Family Centers throughout the U.S. Mm. And uh, I just think that uh, many venues, see, sex was God's idea. It's an invention. <laughs> so uh, the evil in this world has tried to rob people of the pleasure of sex, which is a gift from God. Mm -hmm. I think that we should, you know, some churches and that can help people on many times, maybe they could outsource to you if, you know, for training and thing that for their counselors, Mm -hmm. because anyway, I'm just like thinking you're, you're very busy and all of that, but, but how many people actually think of it just as an individual thing? Like this is just within for couples counseling, but it affects society. 
And when you were talking about uh, sex education, it just reminds me, you know what? We need to not have this gift hijacked. Mm. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful thing. It is meant to be celebrated and let's remove the shame from it. So how do you do that? How do you how to to remove the decades of sexual shame and negativity put on to us by culture and church? (laughs) That might be an entire show itself, but but the shame needs to go away. Oh, it absolutely does. You know, and it, it you know, the church is part of it, obviously, but we do just live in a very sex negative culture. Um, at least those of us in the States, um, you know, different other countries have different relationships to sex. Um, but we have kind of a very backwards, like you see sex in advertising and music videos and stuff. There's this sort of like ostentatious presentation of sex while like still like deeply shamed around sexual desires and still, still a lot of homophobia, transphobia, queerphobia um in public discourse and um the work starts here you know just like us right now starting these conversations um in removing this idea that there's like anything wrong with who you are and that you as a human being um were built for pleasure pleasure is good for you it's healthy and you deserve all the love that your heart can handle and you deserve as much pleasure and joy as your body can experience Well, I have a question that just came in from Texas and it's a young woman. And she says, um, Zach, she heard about all the self-love and she wants to love herself, but she's not comfortable with her body. She's Mm. gained some weight and, you know, everyone says about yoga, but she's afraid to try it because Mm. it looks like on TV that yoga is only for, you know, people who are fit. Mm. Yeah, thank you for reaching out. Um, I really appreciate the courage that it took for you to share that and this question. And I want to say that, first of all, you're not alone, is that we do live not only in a sex-negative culture, but a body-negative culture. We're pummeled with ideas of what a body should look like. And I was even just reading, I want to say it was Margaret Margaret Atwood, one of her poems, and she's like, the celebrities don't look like the the celebrities on their off days. And like, yeah, you know, the model, like you saw some of those models on the magazine on the street, they would just look like a normal person. And um, so absolutely, like, however your body looks right now, I want you to see it as the temple for the divine that you are, for the divine nature that you are. And it's beautiful, no matter how big or small or whatever, what you call imperfections might be on in around your body that makes you who you are. And it's this beautiful gift that allows you to experience this miracle of life that we all get to be in. And absolutely, it can be hard to love our bodies when it doesn't look or do the things that we want it to do. And one of the first things we can do is honor that emotion, that like challenge, right? And once we kind of like step out of the fog of our life, we can see it for the cloud that it is, right? So we can first bring ourselves some compassion, to this um, inner aggression uh, or distaste we have for our bodies. And that's one of the first things I love to do is just encompass whatever pain or struggle I'm experiencing with compassion, with love. We're um, like recognizing that suffering is a part of life and that this is a moment of suffering and we can give ourselves the kindness and compassion that we need. And that's it begins by setting the intention right now to love exactly who you are and what you are in this moment and realizing it might be hard because it's an uphill battle because of all the messages that we're receiving from the world around us 
And absolutely, yoga is one of many tools that we can do to come back home to our bodies and to love our bodies exactly as they are. And I encourage you to find a teacher who can really help you with this specific um, challenge because all the time, indeed, I come, students will come to like a random kind of yoga class. Uh, many people there are a little bit more experienced. The teacher teaches the class, maybe don't, doesn't present the best modifications or adjustments for those bodies who are new. And then people give it up altogether. So it can really help to find a beginner's class, to find even a teacher that can work with you on a one-on-one basis to help you um, kind of get the terminology, kind of understand uh, what we're trying to do in our yoga practice and also work with your unique needs. Um, as if you're first to yoga and, and you've been on this planet for a few decades, there might be specific tensions, tightness, imbalances in the body that need to be corrected. Um, and there is this huge yeah, public message that yogis are only young, fit, typically white, um, and, and typically traditionally good looking. And it is a challenge to discard that. And we absolutely do need more diversity uh, in yoga. We do need more diverse of bodies. So I do hope that you can come and be part of this community of uh, practicing, opening our hearts to love and compassion and connecting to our bodies and the miracle that they are. Wow. <laughs> okay. So deep, I'm kind of mesmerized. <laughs> Pretty mesmerized. I mean, I hope, you had me at Margaret. At- <laughs> I hope that answers the question. <laughs> uh, one of the things that you do specialize in um, that I haven't had you um, define, and you use the word a variety of time, it's compassion. Mm-hmm. What is your definition of compassion? Yeah. What I often present in my teachings is what is known as the four Brahma Viharas, which means the noble qualities. And this kind of comes from the Buddhist tradition. And it kind of looks like this. One easy way to think about what love is, is a genuine concern for a person's well-being. Right? Like, let's discard the romance and, and, and intimacy and everything you hear in songs and romantic comedies. It just means you care about somebody. You want them to be happy. So when our love touches somebody else or ourselves, it transforms depending on where that person is at in their life. So if that person is suffering, our love turns to compassion. We want them not to suffer. We want their suffer to be alleviated. If you see somebody walk and step on a nail, you're like, oh, I wish that didn't happen. I wish that person wasn't in pain. So when our love meets somebody who is suffering, it turns into compassion, a desire for that person to be alleviated of their suffering. When our love turns to somebody who's doing okay, like maybe they're not suffering in their life, it turns into what is known as loving kindness. And when love turns to somebody who's doing well in life, it turns into what is known as mudita or sympathetic joy or joy in somebody else's joy. And I love this emotion because it's so important because it's so contrary to like our zero sum, like we're all fighting for to get the material wealth that we want. And when your coworker comes to you and they say like, Hey, I got that promotion with the big raise. Didn't you want that? And that's the part of you that's like, ah, oh, like kind of like feels anger, resentment, jealousy, and we come up. That's when mudita, that's when sympathetic joy can be really helpful. And absolutely this applies to intimate relationships because, you know, often being there in the challenging times is really important in relationship. But what, when you look at happy, successful relationships, another thing that they do is rejoice in each other's success. 
is do what they call celebrate together. Like, so when your partner comes home, they got something at work or something in their life that they wanted. That's when you come in, you're like, that's so awesome. That's great. Let's go out. Let's celebrate. Let's take this happy moment and elevate it and resonate in our happiness together. Awesome. Thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah. Does that answer the question? Dr. April, there's big long pauses because we just keep staring. Sad beach. <laughs> oh my goodness. You know, um, no, really, it's also your, you kind of have a poetic, uh, sing songy, mesmerizing voice, and I'm not hitting on you, but <laughs> I, I you have been hitting on me since the beginning. But <laughs> I have your hair, it's your hair. <laughs> but let me just tell you, um, as we're coming close to the end of our time together, um, you gave a Margaret Atwood, um, uh, you referred to her poem and there's, do you, have you ever heard of the poem? Nothing by uh, Margaret At- Atwood. Um, maybe, maybe not. Well, it has your name in it. Oh, okay. Yeah. And we talked about obstacles and other things and it's a very brief poem. And with your permission, I'd like to read that. What do you think Dr. April? Oh, go, go ahead, please. It's, it's nothing by Margaret Atwood, who is a Canadian poet. She says nothing like love to put blood back in the language the difference between the beach and its discreet rocks and shards, a hard cuneiform and the tender cursive of waves, bone and liquid fish egg, desert and salt marsh, a green push out of death, the bowels plump like lips or soaked fingers, and the fingers themselves move around these softening pebbles or as around skin. The sky is not vacant and over there, but close against your eyes, molten, so near that you can taste it, it tastes of salt. What touches you is what you touch. This is going out to my new friend, Zach Beach. Awesome. Dr. Kelly, I am not Margaret Atwood, but is that a phenomenal? How she put your name in there. <laughs> in there I love it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, well, if all uh, listeners out there um, wanting to connect with you, how can they go about doing that? So again, Zach Beach, you can find me on the social medias at Zach Beach Love and ZachBeach.com is the best way to find out more about me. Okay, awesome. And you will be traveling next year, hopefully, or the year Mm -hmm. after. Yes, getting out there. Yeah, have you seen all the memes about vaxxed and waxed? I'm saying... you're vaxxed you're waxed you're ready to go out into the world like it's gonna we're gonna open up soon and get ready world (laughs) awesome one question i do have have you been doing poetry ever since you were a little boy i'm just trying to imagine um how your parents just raised such a wonderful son i just yeah Uh, So I, I, I'm very lucky, absolutely, to have the upbringing that I did. So I actually brought, for my 50th episode anniversary, I actually brought my own parents onto the show. Aww. Um, so I interviewed my own parents on the Learn to Love podcast, and we talked about growing up. Um, and one of the things that they committed to from the beginning, my parents, and I really great feeling, I have so much gratitude for them for this, is they created a home that was a place of unconditional love. And they knew the world can be really challenging, and they were like, once we come home to like our house. Um, we want our children to know that they're loved and accepted for just who they are. Um, so even like as a young age, I remember my dad telling me, he's like, son, some uh, girls are born in boys' bodies and some boys are, girl, boy, are uh, born
born in girls' bodies. And if you decide, you know, to go one of these ways, like, that's okay. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) I just want to, can I go back to my toys now? A girl in a boy body. (laughs) You know. What a a beautiful, safe place they gave you, Zach. Yeah. But it's it's interesting because I I haven't been, I wasn't a poet. I don't think of myself as a poet at a young age. But that kind of happened later on in life. And one of the things we talk a lot about in yoga is this idea of alignment. And a lot of times we talk about like physical alignment, like we want our wrists to be the same line as our shoulders or something. But I often encourage people to remind, to remember that we can align ourselves with many things in life, right? We can align ourselves with our purpose, with our heart, with love. We can align ourselves with God and with the divine. And we can also align ourselves just with the natural flow of life. And I found that when I got into my body and tapped into life and found myself more in the flow is that a natural creativity arose from my heart and from my center. Um, Because when you look out in the world, the world is constantly inventing and reinventing itself, right? Like we, this used to be barren rock. Now there are trees and birds and animals and the tree that you see today will be different than the one you see tomorrow, be a little bit bigger, a little bit um, larger. So there's a saying in meditation that if you're bored, you're not paying attention because every moment is new and every day is new only to be happening once and never again. And you can also apply this attitude to our partners is that your partner's not going to be the same person they were today than yesterday. People go to divorce court and they're like, you're not the person I married. It's like, of course, they're not the person that you (laughs) married because we're new. We're changing. We're evolving. So, so too, we can look at our partner as this endless like dancing pattern of matter and energy, this incredible phenomenon that we can never like fully completely know, but we can get in touch with and connect with each and every day as newness presents itself in so many ways. (laughs) Wow. You just amaze me. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) I think he mesmerized you. (laughs) Hey, Zach Beach, it has been a pleasure having you on the Bringing Intimacy Back show. Thank you. I enjoyed our conversation. We'll have to continue this (laughs) offline. Oh, definitely. (laughs) Oh, yes, I do know what you mean. (laughs) All right. Um, Thank you again. And for our upcoming shows that we do have, um, August 5th, we have Ashley Cobb. She does sex influencing and education. August 19th, um, Ilet Connie, Need a Quickie, Solution Focused Brief Therapy. And then September 2nd, um, Kristen will be on in the Super U, Creating a Powerful Self. Well, this has been, wow, a great show. <laughs> Thank you, Zach Beach, for being on the show. Yes, yes, it's been a wonderful. Just a reminder, um, BIB is now a nonprofit. And so um, keep that in mind and check us out on Facebook, on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. All right. Thank you so much. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Yes, this has been the Bringing Act- Intimacy Back show. All right. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>